0: If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number four. I'm going to start a reading, Uh, verse number four, Philippians four. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of praise, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, it is your word we're so thankful and that you have spoken to us. We pray that through the Spirit that you would just open our eyes to see and ears to hear. Speak to us, Lord. We are in need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You might recall a story in the Old Testament in Solomon's day. Uh, a woman comes before the court and uh, with a complaint against another mother who... Um, she claims has stolen her child, and, and while she was asleep, her uh, replaced her child with uh, her dead son, basically swapping children, and which, uh, when the other woman confronted about this, uh, claims, well, it's just not so, it isn't what happened at all. This is my son. Well, left Solomon in some place of perplexity, and so he comes to the solution. I've got an idea. You say it's your child, you say it's your child. Well, let's just split the child in half and you can share it. Which, as you know, is, no, um, is of no use to anyone once you do that. Uh, Maybe a strange example for you, uh, but we have sometimes in the Christian life separated, um, separated from what I do as a Christian as opposed to what I think. While each of those statements are, are good to, to consider what the Bible teaches about, um, we must fight to keep the facts of the faith and, and the commands of Christianity in harmony. It's that thing we always fight for with a pendulum swing, one extreme to the other. And I believe that's what Paul is doing here at the end of uh, this section in chapter number four. I believe he's bringing us to this place of the complete look of the Christian life, both the inner man and the outer activities, what we do and what we think. Now just by way of review for those of you who were with us at the beginning of this in chapter number four, verse number four, we we said Paul is giving us just a kind of closery summary of the characteristics of the Christian faith. Those things that that we should display in our life. They're given to us in commands and he is expecting the church to hear him and, or read these things and then put these things into practice. It begins with the heart uh, and, the, uh, and really the encouragement or the command that it should be a joyful heart and it should be seen in the fact that we should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Uh, it is our Christian duty And it seems odd to say that, doesn't it? To rejoice in the Lord. But it is the Christian privilege to come to understand that there's always room and reason to rejoice because our rejoicing isn't in our circumstances. Our rejoicing is in Christ Himself, who's the same today, who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Uh, The church in Philippi, of course, we know and we understand that we're facing persecution and struggling. And he's saying, yeah, in, in the midst of that, you still have joy and reason to rejoice because Christ is with you in the middle of it, and he has never changed. So we have to rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> you might recall uh, Jesus' words in John chapter number 15 as he's instructing them, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus' words and instructions filling our joy in the middle of our circumstances. But secondly, he says in verse number 5, not only are we to be praising God or instructing us in our praise, but he he speaks about our disposition towards others. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness or your graciousness known to everyone inside the church and outside of the church. Why? Well, it's based upon having received God's graciousness. Isn't it always bringing us back to that? You forgive, why? Because God forgave you. And, and, and so we see those correlations there. And as a Christian, we're to live praising God and we're to live in a way that is uh, one of graciousness towards those who are around us. We concluded in verse number 6 that we are not to be anxious, but we are to pray. We're to be prayerful we are to exercise our faith and belief uh, and that is God knows what we have need of therefore we can come to him pray to him we're to exercise the faith and reality that he receives us and accepts us in Christ Jesus that he commands us and calls us and urges us to come boldly to the throne of grace we're to exercise our faith and understanding as we declare our dependence on God isn't that what prayer is? It, it, it kind of breaks through the mask of our self-sufficiency and, and it clings a hold of, of the throne of God and declares for those around us and to our own hearts and to God, yes, we need you, Lord. We need you. Many times we find ourselves in the Christian life facing circumstances which are nothing more than a sermon of that reality. We need him. And the joy of prayer is that he, he accepts us. He hears us. Uh, he has committed himself to us. And so therefore we should be consistently in prayer. And in the promise of that, of course, we know is that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe you recall in the Gospels a story of Jesus on a boat. And the storm is raging and he's asleep. The disciples are fearful of their very lives. They go and wake him up in the franticness while he's asleep on the boat. And that picture came to my mind this morning as I read that verse over again. That peace which is like sleeping in a boat kind of peace in the middle of the storm. The peace that doesn't make sense. The confidence that we have in God and his presence with us. Well, he concludes this section in verses 8 and 9, instructing us with the whole person inside and out. And it begins first with the Christian mind. And we read it again. Verse number 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, and whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. <clears throat> It was a philosopher by the name of Descartes who has famously said, I think, therefore I am. I read his article on that and, and I got lost halfway through it about what he's describing. But he comes to this conclusion as he is trying to define himself, define himself and humanity and he just basically asserts I am a thing that thinks. It's profound, isn't it? <laughs> He's trying to explain what he come to understand the world around him and how he come to perceive life and doubt and fear and and, and all the responses to the world. Uh, he, how does it all come in? How does he How does he take it? How does he work through it all? And he says he does so through the mind, through his ability to think. It is through the mind that we that we treasure. It is through our mind and thinking that we experience feel and fear and we fix convictions in our life that we navigate life itself it is through the mind that we give life to action in fact all of our deeds and activities is is a product or a fruit of the thoughts in which we contemplate the action begins in the inner man in the mind solomon said it this way in Proverbs 23 7 the beginning of that he says for as a man thinks or as he thinks within himself so he is the heart and the mind reveals itself in our actions and the battle that we have in our society that we have in our spiritual life that we have in following Christ and and, and dealing with all the stuff coming at us is a battle which is waging raging on in our minds and in the way we think and what we think about. That's what we read in Second Corinthians chapter number 10. We are at war and we're not at war with, with people, we're not at war with, with systems so to speak, we're at war with deceptive lies and those things that are not true. Paul warns the Colossian church were not to be taken captive by plausible or seemingly good arguments which he later describes as vain or empty philosophy. You you and I live in, in a culture, as everyone has lived in some culture, that is bombarded continually in how to think, what to think about, and in many cases leave the thinking to me. Neil Postman wrote in a classic book called Amusing Ourselves to Death in 1985. If you haven't read it, it is is worth picking up. It is almost as if it could have been written yesterday. Which he laments the constant desire for amusement in America, which is simply defined not thinking. That's what amusement means. Quoting him, he says, people will come to... Adore the technologies that undo their capacity to think. What do you think about that? There is a constant urge today to unplug, unwind, and if not intentional, that, that strange pool of our electronical devices and the technology that we have and the pool of social media and all the other things that go along with that, it unintentionally brings us to a place of spacing out and uh, scrolling our life away and our time away. We're disconnected from the world and our mind is disconnected. Not that it isn't helpful, not that it isn't good, but it brings us to a place where we're handing over the process of thinking for ourselves to the experts. And it's not helpful. It's not helpful as a people, as a society. It's not helpful in the Christian life. Government, society, educational systems, and campaigns, and companies all seem to have, have an interest in what you think about and how you think about it. And that's why we have no surprise the the current controversy over the elementary school children and the activists seeking to to change their opinions or, or mold their minds into thinking a certain way about particular issues. Because they want to disciple the next generation. They want to help them think the way they want them to think, to create a society that they want created. Because what we think about and how we think impacts what we do. It is important. That's what Paul commands us to do here. Think. Think on these things. Of course, bring us back to the things that he's talking about in the verse. But, but he's calling us to battle against our tendency for slothfulness when it comes to, when it comes to thinking about things deeply. When it comes to thinking about things of life and death and eternal matters and heaven and hell and, and, and all the things that God has given to us, thinking about the world around us and, and battle against that desire to just get away from it all. We need to think. It encourages us as we, we go through this life to think productively and deeply and thoroughly. But not just think, letting thoughts roll through your mind like processing some kind of information. But it says let it roll in a way where you consider, where you work out, where you put into practice or figure out how to put in practice a particular thing. Here are these these moral characteristics that he mentions in verse number 8. He's saying do more than just let thoughts pass through your mind as as like you're driving down the interstate, but, but study them, make a practice of them, see how they work out into life. Be impacted in the way in which you think. Now, the truth is we all think about something even if it's nothing. In times of sorrow and trouble, it is the very thing going on in your life and the hurt and difficulty which is center stage. That's what we mull over. That's what we muse ourselves with. When we have a project or something pressing, we, we, we think about those things like that. And, and so he's, he's telling us, one, be active. Be active in what you think about and be purposeful in what you spend time thinking on. There's a, a computer phrase I have come to hear and have read that says, Garbage in, garbage out. And saying that our thought life, and as many people agree, our thought life is a lot like that. If what we put in our minds, if what we dwell on is garbage all the time, then it will affect and contaminate everything else we do. Our desires, the things we love, the things that we admire, the things that we go after, the things that we focus on is all correlated with what we spend our attention on, what we keep presenting in front of us. So it is important that we think well as we think. Well, we had already seen Paul addressing this earlier as we've noticed in verse number 7. And really all of these attributes have something to do with the mind and the disposition. We're we're to be joyful, thankful in mind as we pray. We're to, to experience the peace of God. And there's something to be said about that. That peace which steadies the mind in the middle of anxiety, overwhelmed by fear. God's supernatural presence in His, uh, His, His work in our life. The Holy Spirit stays us in times of trouble. And that is a gift, God's grace gift to you. Because He reminds us at one point in your life that wasn't how it always was. That, that wasn't always the case with us. In fact, in Colossians chapter number 1, he says that you were at one time hostile in mind towards God. Your thoughts and your attitudes towards God, and the things of God, about God, were all, were all in, in the form of hostility, at enmity. They were at odds with Him. And, and yet through Jesus Christ, God has given us peace. He is our peace and He has given us peace. And that same peace He has given us with God in relationship to Him is that same Peace that we have in the middle of our difficulties, that we are right with him. He loves us and given Himself for us. And so we see this peace already mentioned now in verse number eight. He seems to deal with a broad spectrum of life and what we think on it. And he says, finally, brothers, whatsoever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent. If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are not unfamiliar to the culture in which they lived in. Many of the Greeks would have lists of moralities similar to this. Yet I think it's best to see these in the the sense of Paul saying, I want you to think in a way which reflects being in Christ. I want you to think in a way which reflects walking in fellowship with God. And so he lists this list here, which is not exclusive But it does give us a light and how and what we're to think about. He says, you need to think about what is true. I don't know how many times this week I began a conversation or at least a thought. And, and you know, because I'm studying this, it was fresh in my mind. So it wasn't like I was just a super spiritual person. It was just in front of me. And I was, I stopped myself in the middle of that thought and conversation. I said, it's not right. That's wrong. What I'm thinking, what I'm going through this, how I'm dwelling on this, it's wrong. It's not true. It's not right. And a lot of what we face in life and struggle with is deceptive. It is wrong. It is, it is not right. And you're saying if you're going to dwell on something, think about something, if you're going to let it occupy your time and your life and your energy, make sure it's true. As a Christian, we bring every thought into captivity to the knowledge of God. Those thoughts about life and death, those thoughts about, about all the things that we go through, about even our own past, that, the, that, that feels like the devil just slides in there to help keep us in whatever situation or shape we're in. We bring them back to what is true. What is true. What is honorable, a word not frequently used in the Bible, used several times in the pastoral epistles, speaking about elders and older men. Titus 2, he basically says, think about things that are noble. What is noble? What is honorable? What is dignified? The third thing he mentions, he says, think about what is right. You could use in the, in the text here, what is righteous. And it carries that note of doing what is right. Think about those things. What is pure? What is holy? What is without defilement? You know, this should have an impact on our life, to dwell on, to think about, to work through what is good and true and pure, holy, what is lovely, what gives pleasure or delight. And think about the creation that God has given us. And doesn't it bring our minds to think about the beauty of the world around us and the beauty of God? He's not necessarily think about this particular passage of Scripture that is lovely. Think about in the world and in the life you live, let your mind meditate on those things that are are true, They're, they're honorable, they're just, they're pure, but they're lovely. They give delight and pleasantness to the eyes. Think about those things which are commendable, well spoken of. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever recommended something and then had to give kind of this little statement after it? This is good, but... And then you go through all these things to watch out for and what's not good. But isn't it nice to be able to recommend and think about and talk and share about those things are commendable that you want other people to see and know and understand. Oh, saying so Let these things take your time and your attention. We fight against all those things that are dishonorable and all those things that are, that are filthy and, and, and vulgar and all the other things like that. We're being bombarded with it. He says, don't let it get a foothold into your life and in your mind. Let your mind actively and, and consciously think about and meditate on those things that are commendable. You could sum it up in this statement. Think about what is excellent. If there's anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, that's what you should give your time and attention to. Let your mind meditate on those things that are good and wholesome. Let it reflect your walk with Christ and your fellowship with Him. Now, how do you do that? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> now, there's a simple answer. I think that's the, the Christian answer. It's like you go ask your kid when they get done from Sunday school and you're taking them on, what would you go over today? What did the teacher teach about? What? Well, Taught about God. Really? What else? And Jesus. <laughs> and the Bible. So True, you kind of want to know what more than that. And sometimes we go home and talk about the sermon, what it was about. I don't know, Some out of Philippians, I'm sure. But the simplest answer is always the best answer. How do we think? How do we shepherd our minds and our thoughts in a fashion like this? Well, you have to know your Bible. How do you know what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is right? How do you know what is lovely if you don't know your Bible? And in knowing your Bible, not just knowing information, a lot of people know the Bible, but you have to know God, His characteristics, what He loves, what He hates, what He cares about, what He says is just. What He speaks about is beautiful and honorable Those things should guide us as we process the world around us. Our our understanding of the Word of God which gives us an understanding of God Himself. And and that understanding is opened up for us through Jesus Christ, isn't it? So that's the easiest, simplest answer, right? You have to know God. You have to know your Bible. You have to know Jesus Christ. Let me give you three more things to add to that very quickly. One, we should consider the nature of the things you set in front of your eyes. You should consider the nature of things that set in front of your eyes. If this is how the, the Christian is to process the world and to grow and to develop character and Christ-like morality, then you should be careful. Consider what you consume, what you take in. Your entertainment, what we watch, and we should be careful what we, what we see. What you set in front of your eyes. The information that you take in. What you continually feed yourself. You feed an appetite for. Is that true? People cultivate and Broaden their palate, their desires, the inner life, and the thought life through what they continually set in front of their eyes. So, you should be careful of the nature of the things you set in front of your eyes. Secondly, you should take care of the things that you listen to the music that you listen to. How many of you, you know, you got cars and cell phones, and you can look up any song you want, and you got whatever. Whatever service you got to where you can listen to anything almost practically for free. And so you decide you're gonna to listen to the childhood songs you used to listen to as a teenager, you know? And so you get on there and you play those songs and how many of you ever been embarrassed? Because you know now what they were talking about. The couple of you. The rest of you, you know it's true. We're on the same boat. I was that way I I watched action movies growing up as a teenager and and I was like, oh, my kids has got to see this, and so we pop it in. I'm like, nope, they they don't really need to see this. <laughs> Did they really cuss that bad back in the '80s and '90s? The English language has digressed, and and hopefully it's on the men, but. But we have to be careful what we listen to, the music that we listen to, and, and the podcast and all the, the stuff that we hear continually because it, it molds and shapes us. It, 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 it brings us maybe not to look like them or act like them, but the nature of what they are sharing affects our nature. It affects the way we think and our attitudes and our actions, and, and if we're going to think like Christ and and think in a way that is honoring to God. We must be careful to what we listen to. Thirdly, we must practice weighing every thought against the knowledge of God. So we must be careful to what we set in front of our eyes. We must be discerning in what we listen to, and we must practice weighing every thought against the knowledge of God. Because not every thought's worth thinking. Not every everything that runs through your mind ninety miles an hour is worth grabbing hold of and stopping and asking. To sit down for a cup of coffee, because they're, they're they're wrong, they're false, they're against the gospel, they're against God, they're against the truth, and so we have to battle that way. Every thought against the knowledge of God. I would say another one you could add to that is, and that is to meditate continually and constantly on the gospel. So he deals with how we might live in a way to honor God with our minds. Secondly, notice verse number 9. He deals with the outer life, the outer man. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If one problem in Christianity is mainly what you do, not who you are and why you do what you do, Just your works and rituals and follow the rules, then equally another problem in Christianity could be seen in just facts and without any action. Here the Bible tells us and teaches us that we are more than just to think and consider and meditate, but we are to put in action certain activities and certain things in which we have learned. It's not just here. We see it elsewhere in Titus chapter number 2. You can turn there if you want. Titus 2. Just very quickly, the Bible says in verse number 11, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us and that's instructing us teaching us It's to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live to put into action to live out or or bring life to certain things and he explains that those are being self-controlled upright godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope and savior you and I will never be perfect you should say amen to that might as well settle with that and get it over with will never be perfect. But here, it, it is something continually that we face that we're to continually progress and grow and to live out what we've been taught, what we've learned, to, to put into practice the Christian faith. Play it out or exercise. That's the command we find in verse number 9 is to practice. And notice he says, I want you to practice in what you've learned and received. Here, reference to Acts number 16, when Paul came to Philippi and he began preaching the gospel and telling them the way about Jesus Christ. And so that's what they have learned. He he gave them the Christian faith. He gave them Christian instruction. And so uh, they, they heard it, they learned it, and they received it. Uh, we know in... Later on in the book of Acts, as he speaks to the Ephesians, that he goes further to say he did not hold anything back that was profitable for them. I would assume the same thing was true in Philippi, that he gave them the basic teaching of the Christian faith. And the very letter of Philippi or Philippians here is a, is a lesson which is teaching and, and instructing these believers here at the church. Now, it is easy to leave it here. Teaching with numerous assertions and declarations, it is essential. But teaching and declarations and assertions don't rest by themselves. They don't sit on the, uh, sit without some form of example. And let me put it another way. Faith in the book of Hebrews is a a glorious definition. Maybe you recall that and have memorized it. The substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things seen. Here's a substance of something that you can't see, about something else that you can't see, as it is a conviction of things you hope for and you're anticipating. Now you might be like me and you might sit down and scratch your head, what in the world is he talking about? How do we come to understand faith? Why does Hebrews 11 impact us so much? Because with that declaration, with that statement, he gives us a list of examples. This is what faith is. This is what faith is. Abraham believing the promises of God. And so he, he leaves a land looking for a city whose builder and founder is God. And, and he is assured it will come. It is, it is seen, displayed, live out in the people of God's life. And so Paul is saying the same thing here. That that they are to see the the concrete examples set in front of them of how to walk the Christian life. Pastors and leaders are meant to be an example of the faith. Mature believers in Christ are meant to be examples of the faith so that others may know how to live rightly. How to honor God with their life. That's what he means as he goes on and says, Not only of what you have learned and received, but what you have heard and seen in me. What you've heard about him could be a way of understanding that. But what is obvious, he says, you've seen how to live the Christian life in me, so put it into practice. You've seen what to do. Was there more to see? Yeah, but you've got enough to get going. And what did they see in him? Well, the list is exhaustive, but I'll just list a few. they they seen how to suffer joyfully under persecution, didn't they? As he was persecuted in Philippi, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 25, they were singing and praising God in the jail after having been beat. They seen how to pray as, as he continually not only prays in this letter, but as he was going out to pray in, in Acts chapter number 16. They were taught and were given example in Paul and how to care and love others as when he was beaten and out of jail and they were told to leave town, What does he do first? He goes and gets encouraged by the believers, doesn't he? Nope. The end of the book says he goes and encourages the believers. I see his care and his love for others and concern for them. Verse number 40. You see his perseverance through difficulty, his courage, his evangelistic zeal, and the list go on and on. And you know what? We see that as we come to God's Word, but we see it in flesh and blood in the lives of the saints. As you look around, those here, as you hear the testimonies of God's people, what are you doing? You're seeing ways in which God has worked in their life and and ways in which we can emulate. Encourage them to live out. Well, I don't know how to live it out. Well, look at the examples that God gives us. That's why discipleship is so crucial and important because it it helps us help one another. Well... And sometimes it is good, needful to ask for help. I've several occasions in my own life talking to older pastors and ministers, well, how do you exactly do you do a quiet time? You keep hearing people guilt you that you're not doing a quiet time right, and all that. How do you do it? And and a lot of those things like that, other things like that, people have just shared their way of doing things. I may not do it just like them. and You may not do it like someone else. What is he saying? You see examples in front of you that God gives in how to live the Christian life. And so we should put into practice. Live out the Christian life. We know what we've learned and what we've been taught and the examples that is in front of us. All of that to help us live in a way that glorifies God in our body. Both in the mind... And with our actions. Well the promise here at the end of verse number 9 says. In all of this. The God of peace will be with you. Why can we have peace that passes all understanding? Because we got the God of peace. His presence. He himself the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So beloved while you praise God. Love others. Pray and ponder or think and practice. You do all that in the presence of God. He is with you. He is with us. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we can gather this morning. We thank you for this great encouragement and reminder. Lord, I pray that each of us would just be encouraged, take into consideration what we think and meditate on. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us as we live this life to continue to follow after holy your Son using what we have learned and continue to learn in the examples you have given us. We praise you for your goodness and your kindness, for the peace you offer, for your presence, and I pray for those here this morning, if any here, do not know that, have not experienced that even now, Lord, that they would surrender. They would come to Christ and then they would experience the peace that he offers the weary and the rebel alike. In Jesus' name, amen.